Our reading this morning comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, believing, you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thank you, Chris. Let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and God. Amen. Well, Easter Day, and we remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Something that's very familiar if you've been in Christian circles for a long time, but um, there's always a problem with familiarity, isn't there? And we're going to do it by looking at um, the reading that Chris just brought to us, which is one of the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, In fact, there's two appearances of Jesus in those few verses. But first I want you to cast your mind into the, uh, the context of what's going on there. Try and think about what it would have been like for those disciples. Remember, Jesus has just been crucified. So the disciples are beside themselves. Their trusted leader is gone. The one that they dedicated their life to, certainly the last three years, the one that they'd been following, living with, learning from, watching do incredible things, hearing teach in incredible ways, he's been gone. And not just gone, gone in the most incredible of circumstances. Put to death in a shameful public fashion. So when we first see the disciples in verse 19 behind me, they're locked up in a room in fear of the Jewish authorities. Will the Jewish authorities come after us now? They've got Jesus. They obviously didn't want Jesus around. Are they going to come after us next? They'd been fearless before for three years, but now Jesus is gone and everything's different. And so Jesus appears to them in this locked room. But Thomas, one of the disciples, isn't there. 
And when the others tell Thomas that they've seen Jesus back from the dead, alive again, Thomas doesn't believe it. And you can kind of sympathise with him, can't you? Verse 25, look what he says. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it, declares Thomas. That's the first appearance. Uh, Then in verse 26 we find ourselves a week later on and this time Thomas is with the disciples and then we get the well-known story of Jesus revealing himself to the doubter. Now there's a lot packed in just a few verses there and we could spend a ton of time on lots of it but I'm not preaching on John. We're looking at the Easter and the resurrection and so I just want to pick up on two phrases this morning. Two phrases that I think sum up for us the main message of the gospel. They sum up for us who Jesus is and what he achieved. In other words, they sum up Easter. One phrase is from Thomas and one is on the lips of Jesus himself. The first phrase comes from Thomas who makes uh, perhaps the greatest statement about Jesus that anyone makes in the gospels, which is lovely because Thomas is always the one we kind of look down on, right? He's well known as the doubter. He's well known as, oh, Thomas. Uh, Thomas makes the greatest statement, I think, of anyone in the four Gospels. When he says, verse 28, he looks at the risen Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Here Thomas confesses what John, who wrote this Gospel, said right back in the very first verse of his book. Do you remember when he said that the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then we find out that Jesus is the word. So here Thomas states it. So this is not, if you've ever met the, uh, any of the Jehovah's Witnesses as they knock on, on the door, one of the things that they always want to get across if they know that you're Christian is some of the differences and they don't believe that Jesus is God. So if you get into a discussion with them, they'll say, well prove to me anywhere in the Bible where it says Jesus is God. If you take them here to Thomas saying it, what will they say? They say that he's blaspheming. That's how they get away. He's so surprised, he blasphemes. That's absolutely not what's going on here. Do you see that? What Thomas has just done is, he knows that the one that he saw crucified before his eyes is now the one who's risen. The one who's standing before him is nothing less than God himself, God the Son. It's a staggering call that Thomas makes. And in many ways, it's the climax of this whole gospel. Someone finally confesses Jesus to be what John the gospel writer said he was right at the beginning. My Lord and my God. But, as staggering as Thomas's claim is, I want you to notice that in some ways the response of Jesus when Thomas says this is even more amazing. Thomas has just answered Jesus by saying, my Lord and my God. And Jesus does what? Nothing. Why is that important? In the book of Acts, when you're reading through it, Cornelius, who's a Gentile, is so thankful for the ministry of Peter, the apostle, that he falls down at Peter's feet. That's a sign of worshipping. Presumably he's going to worship Peter because he's so thankful for what Peter's done. What does Peter do? He stops him immediately and says to him, stand up, I myself am also a man. Don't worship me, says Peter. Also in the book of Acts, when uh, they get to a place called Lystra, the people wanted to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because Paul and Barnabas had been so great bringing them the news Jesus. What did Paul and Barnabas do? They ripped their clothes and shouted to the people, no, 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 don't do that. We're mortals just like you. Jesus here, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, does what? Nothing. He just accepts it because it's true. 
There's no, hang on Thomas, you've uh, overstated things a bit there. No, whoa, don't go overboard Thomas. No, Jesus accepts it. He knows exactly who he is and he accepts what Thomas has just said about him. In fact, it's, it's more than just nothing that he does because what's the next thing Jesus says to Thomas? Verse 29, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's accepting what Thomas has said about him because it's true. Jesus was fully man and yet also in a way that we, you and I can never fully understand, he's fully God. That's one of the reasons we're going to have such confidence in what he did because God did it. I pray that we too, like Thomas, as we reflect on what Jesus did at Easter, as we think of his wounds and we think of him risen, we should be able to say of him, my Lord and my God, with thanks and assurance. The resurrection shows that this is the work of God. There's no other explanation. So that's the first phrase which shows who Jesus is. The second one is on the lips of Jesus himself, but you may not have picked up on it as being important. We find it in our first verse, verse 19. So Jesus appears to the disciples behind the locked door and what does he say to them? Peace be with you. Now that doesn't seem to be very significant, not a a kind of phrase of great importance, but this is the phrase I want us to focus on. Let me prove to you why I think it's so important. Well, he says it again in verse 21. Peace be with you. Then he says it again in verse 26. The exact same words. Peace be with you. Three times in eight verses he says the exact same four words. Peace be with you. Now some people try to downplay that and they say, well, peace be with you was a common greeting at the time and people kind of always said it and that's all Jesus is doing. No, no. This is chapter 20 of John's Gospel. Chapter 20. In the whole 20 chapters leading up to this point, Jesus has used the word peace three times. In 20 chapters. Now he uses it three times in eight verses. And not one of those three times has been a greeting, peace be with you. He's never said that. So now suddenly when he says this three times in eight verses, that's significant. So why does he suddenly say, peace be with you, three times? Well, did you notice what Jesus did in between saying, peace be with you the first and second time? Have a look at verse 19, the end of verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He showed them his wounds, the wounds that had killed him the wounds that were him in our place. And then he says to them, peace be with you. The wounds on his hands and his side are the marks showing the reality that now the disciples have peace. Peace with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross and peace in the face of death because death has been conquered. They have true peace now, eternal peace, crucial peace, critical peace. They have peace with God and in life. That is the glory uh, of the achievement of the cross. Peace with God. And Jesus is telling the disciples that this peace is now theirs. His death seen visibly in the marks on him brought about the forgiveness of sins which means peace with God and now they have peace in life too because death is not the end. We're forgiven. We're loved children of God. That's what Easter means. I hope you know that peace this morning. Do you know deep in your heart that peace, the peace that comes from knowing you're completely forgiven by God because of what Jesus did on the cross and that's proven in the resurrection 
as he comes back to life. I'm convinced that all of us at different times don't have that peace. We worry about what God thinks about us. We, we know what we're like inside. We know some of the things we do and don't do and think and the way we let ourselves down and others down and let God down. And all of us will go through times where we think, well, if that's what I'm like, how can God love me? Where do I stand with him? Let me tell you where you stand with God this morning. If you trust in Jesus, you are at peace with him. You have peace, total peace. You're forgiven. And life and death is not the end. Because of what Jesus has done, you have eternal life with him. Never doubt that. For anyone who believes in Jesus and trusts in him, that peace is assured. The fact that death has been conquered, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the assurance that that peace is yours and mine. It's the guarantee that we have a heavenly Father who is loving. Friends, this life is full of uncertainties. What will our children end up like? When will I pass away? There are so many uncertainties in this life, but this one is certain. As people who follow Jesus, we have the privilege of the peace of God. Jesus could walk through the doors this morning and say the same words to you and I that he said to the disciples. Peace be with you. The resurrection changes everything. One of our oldest and closest family friends died last night and she went too soon and it was uh, not the right time you know, in, in my eyes and our family's eyes. The resurrection changes everything because Christ is risen. She knew Jesus as her saviour uh, and, and death is not the end. Do you see the difference the resurrection makes? The peace that we can have even in the face uh, of death. And I'm going to finish with this uh, this morning because this morning is a great uh, time to remember this, not just because it's Easter Sunday, but because we're about to celebrate communion. And one of the things we do at communion is we do a thing called the sharing of the peace. And a number of people don't like the sharing of the peace. I get complaints from people about the sharing of the peace. And I don't want to look at people or kind of identify them in front of everyone. That would be embarrassing to them and rude from the front. But Bruce Lamb, you're one of them. <coughs> He's not the one I'm scared of. Jamie doesn't like it either. So um, <laughs> there's a number of people who aren't keen on the peace. In fact, let me out myself for a bit. I'm not hugely keen on it because if you don't know the Anglican service, what sharing the peace means with, you turn around to people next to you, you grab them by the hand and you say words which are odd, not words that I would normally use and uh, I don't really want to talk to people all the time or touch people and um, all those kind of things. But what do we do with this sharing of the peace? We say, peace be with you. And we can sometimes think that's just a token thing. It's just greet a chance in the service for us to greet people that are around us, especially if we don't know them. Not in the communion service. Tom and Thomas Cramner, who put together the Anglican communion service, knew what he was doing when he put together the communion service. He uses deliberately the words that Jesus said to his disciples, assuring them of the peace they have in front of the Lord and the peace they have with each other before they share the Lord's Supper together. We share the Lord's Supper knowing in our heads and our hearts the peace of God that's ours. When we say to each other as we grasp each other's hands, peace be with you, that's not just a token thing or a frivolous thing or some weak greeting. It's profound and it's powerful because we're sharing with each other the peace that's been won for us by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and that the resurrection proves and shows. Peace be with you. I pray this morning as we share the peace with each other in a few minutes, we're going to do it, 
that we will know that that peace is ours. We will remember why we take the bread and the wine and we'll have joy as we remind others that that peace is theirs as well. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask the musicians and Amy and Aaron to come and they're going to sing to us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that he is risen. We thank you that the Lord Jesus is God the Son and we thank you for the peace that he's brought us. And I pray that each one of us would know the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that can only come through knowing Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, and we would rejoice in sharing that peace with one another today and always. Amen.